Right, I've got another guest in front of me today, uh, Mark Craig, someone that I've uh, got to know over the years. In actual fact, I remember the first person who introduced me to you, a good friend of mine called Alfie. So yes. I want to shout out Alfie. Thank you very much <laughs> for connecting us. Um, offline, I was saying to you, Mark, that we've been in the art space now since 2014 and we found ourselves sure. coming into it by chance. We're known for being the Richard Hamilton key advisor. We've dealt on his market you know, since 2014 or just, 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 just before that. But as I mentioned to you, my sort of quest that I'm doing is I'm, I'm interviewing people from America, also British artists, people that I feel are in the ecosystem of street art, urban art, graffiti, etc. And obviously I've got to know you over the years and I adore your work and I think you're a great guy. And I wanted to get you onto the podcast to talk to you about, you know, your inspiration, how your art, has evolved why you got into the art market and and that kind of stuff so first and foremost thank you for coming on board you're welcome you're welcome so i mean let's let's talk about your art then for for those who haven't seen your art uh how would you describe it um i would describe it as a uh doodle-esque uh, uh appreciation of surfaces so any surface whether it be a big big mural space a big wall space or it could be uh, i've done clothing anything that i can doodle on and it's an un- un- unconscious language of symbols um, that is constantly evolving that, you know, adds together and creates this visionary um, adventure, a journey. I still haven't got one of your pieces personally. Oh, I have. I actually got, the, got dark the, the dark yeah, one. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the one I, 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 the style I do like as well, which I've grown, grown to adore even more over the years, is kind of like... Um, the more kind of I would call it more like pop art type style yes and I think when I first ever met you and I was looking at the work I said it reminds me a little bit like Keith Haring but then with a bit of like Andy Warhol affiliated to it so would you say those those type of artists have inspired you in some ways so um initially before all that um my inspiration was b-movies anything to do with um uh, hammer horror uh sci-fis black and white sci-fis plan nine from outer space all the B-movie uh, crappy films that right. I adored. Um, they had amazing monsters, amazing aliens, and you can actually see that in all my doodles, that subconscious appreciation of all things B-movie. I still love B-movies. And then, of course, you know, ultimately, as I went into my art education, you got I realised that I wasn't on my own. There were many, many artists out there that had this kind of uh, process where they absorbed pulp culture and it all amalgamated and and came together to create this visual language. Keith Haring is a really good example, but there are there are many examples that inspired me um, and made me realise I was in really good company. Um, so you know, it's 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 an unconscious language that is actually quite uh, international. But everybody has it. It's almost like a language spoken language. You all have different ways of communicating. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, there is this common denominator in that language. Words mean the same sort of thing. And some th- some words don't mean the same. So the, it's the same with the symbols. It's the same with the symbols. As you just mentioned, I'm very privileged to own one of your uh, Dark Mark uh, pieces. <laughs> and I think it was the first time when I went to your studio. That's right. Uh, where I discovered them. Um, and I, you know, uh, your typical style, I would say, like I said, re- reminded me of Keith Haring, a little bit of Andy Warhol in now, and there's definitely a couple other sort of artists Elements. I can I can recognise. But then this style, the dark 
side of of what you do is 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 a bit like the Jean-Michel Basquet stuff. Yes. Um, and I want to come on to the bit where I think when you were telling me about the reason why you do it is because every so often, like all humans, we go into sometimes the dark kind of, I know, not the, the depression, but sometimes where you're challenging yourself, you know, mentally. And I think it's quite a good conversation to have at the moment because mental health is coming to the forefront yes. of, you know, uh, the media publicity there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, charities and there's a lot of wellness platforms including one I'm a part of which is called Mimboso which is talking about mental health and I think especially for men we don't talk about it enough so would you say it was a bit more um, therapy you know making a dark mark kind of art or is it just something that you do every so often so uh, essentially um, and a lot of artists go through this process of recognizing different energies within them You know, you have a prevalent energy, whatever that is, um, that kind of a surface level. But if you really look at um, artists' artwork, you can see an underlying energy, uh, a most uh, psychological kind of lineage would call it the shadow. And that is dark mark. It's the stuff that gets pushed down or is uncomfortable to deal with or um, (coughs) it's generally unpredictable. It's, It's like a hot potato in your hands. Um, What I realized about four years ago, four or five years ago, is that um, suppressing this energy was not useful. Um, It was actually quite detrimental. um, And it it, it had a language, it had something to say. So I started indulging it. Um, I I was still doing my murals. Here's the, you know, the colorful doodle stuff. Fantastic. But on the side, there was this raw um, maverick, uh, couldn't give two shits how it looked and who liked it or who didn't like it. It was so liberated, it needed to be freed. And when I started that process, I realized that actually um, there was something really special here, but it was an energy that I had to really respect. So I haven't really shown it because I haven't really got to know it. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's me getting to know me in a, in a much more deeper level. Uh, the one that you got was actually like um, I keep getting bursts of dark marks. So recently, it's all been about um, you know all the doodle stuff. But usually, at three o'clock in the morning, one day it's always three o'clock, and I thought I was unique in this. But apparently, a lot of artists get woken up either at three o'clock or three thirty-three, and dark mark wants to play. He doesn't. He do, he doesn't do normal time zones. He does three o'clock in the morning. And I have to grab the brush and I have to start drawing or start painting or whatever. And the stuff that comes out is so, it literally just blows me away. My doodle stuff blows me away, but that is kind of, it's like easy listening. It's, It's comfortable. But this stuff is much more dynamic. And what I'm trying to do is to bring these two energies together. At the moment, it's like oil and water. You know, they're kind of like, not sure, not sure. Yeah. But bringing those two elements together, reconciling um, my positive nature and my negative nature to have more integrity as an artist. I love what I do. You know, all the usual doodle stuff that people know me for. um, I'm really lucky and I I love the appreciation that people give me. But the dark mark stuff is far more um, juicy. It's it's got more oomph to it. But it's uh, it's very difficult to, to present it in a way that means that it's doing it justice, but also in a way that people understand it. Because technically, I don't understand it at the moment. So I'm trying to get... When you look at the Hamilton stuff, this reminds me of it. 
you know, yeah. when, you, when I look at these these images that you got in your studio here in Soho, I'm like, I know this, this language I know, but I haven't really got to grips with it yet. Uh, but the stuff I do is just, it just blows me away every time. It's mm. not me painting, by the way. It's not me drawing. I literally plug into something much more bigger than me. And it's then, like you're being possessed almost. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> possessed or it's like a conduit. Like if inspired, I do, ins- uh, possessed, you know. Absolutely. If I'm, so for example, and this works for both the doodle and the dark mark stuff. If I literally let go of the outcome and 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 just switch off to this need to be perfect this need to produce something that's going to earn loads of money, whatever. If I put my ego to one side, the door of opportunity opens and the magic starts to happen. The moment I switch my head back on, it it disappears. And it goes for either me doing the doodling. I did this big, massive four-story mural recently, and they said, oh, can you do a design? And I just cringed because I I can do you a design, but I'm telling you now, this is not what it's going to look like because it literally happens in the moment. Yeah. Um, but again, I literally with um, I was scared of heights. <laughs> Still went up this scissor list thing. Uh, went up four stories. Got the can. Took a deep breath. Relaxed my body, and then I watched it, my hand start doing this amazing, beautiful doodle that I, I have no idea where it comes from, but it just appeared. You know, and I was really lucky. I'm always lucky when it works. It's never not worked, but the moment I start thinking, oh, maybe if I do this. Have you ever heard of the artists that go, I, I thought it was finished, but I thought if I do one more little stroke, that's never do the yeah. the last stroke because it will literally kill your artwork. I'm pretty sure most artists go through that. I, I've, I've heard that so many times because the moment they um, they add something to it, then they want to add something to that. I mean, Hamilton's quite known for, well, used to be known for doing that because I think even when I was speaking to Andy Van Morbida, who is, you know, the uh, old Richard Hamilton uh, sort of agent, dealer, and now owns the Richard Hamilton IP. I used to watch videos of Andy and him chatting to each other, and Andy was like, this is clearly finished. And, and Hamilton was like, no, it's not finished. And he said, no, it is. And then as he was adding to it, he was destroying the, 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 the piece. The, the line between um, letting go and perfection is really thin. Yeah. And I've learned through the years to... Um, to trust, intuitively trust when whatever the creative gods or nature, whatever you want to call it, goes, you're done. That's it's finished. Yeah. I still potentially could cross that line though. And I know as soon as I'm putting that, I can watch my hand going up and like, Mark, you don't want to do this. And then inevitably if I do it, I'm like, Well, well I usually just go over it. Yeah. Straight away I'm like, You've lost the painting. Yeah. So yeah. So um when Alfie introduced me to you, um he's um, description is Mark does a lot of murals um, and he's also done some big collaborations and he's been on you know TV I think BBC etc um, I think when I was researching you done something with Guinness as well is that right so the Guinness thing um, like uh, the Nescafe thing like all the wonderful opportunities I've had comes from Leak Street and the you obviously know Leak Street. You've been down there. Well, Ham- Hamilton done a show down there in 2018. Not with us, with another uh, organisation, but they done a big Leak Street tunnel um, project down there, and it was it was fantastic. So Leak Street is um, uh, essentially, and following on from what we were just saying about that, you know, that letting go element. It is the best place to see art in London, without a shadow of a doubt, as far as I'm concerned. It is the most rawest representation Waterloo, of Waterloo, right? Underneath Waterloo Station. Yeah. It was where Banksy did the Cannes Festival. 
And then after that, there was this weird thing happened where it became a free space uh, where you could go down and you can spray um, or you can do whatever you wanted, really. Um, and so over time, what happens, if you look at each end of the tunnel, um, it, 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 between each end of the tunnel is this raw creativity off the scale. And because it's raw, it's free, it attracts people to it and it attracts big names. So, for example... Uh, the Nescafe one was the really good example. I was there finishing off a mural um, and the couple came up to me and said, oh, are you an artist? They get, they literally asked. It's so obvious. I've got a can in my hand and they're like, are you an artist? Mm-hmm. I got asked that so many times. So I said, yes, I am. <laughs> they asked, are you allowed to do this? Yes, obviously, because I'm doing it. And then I sort of, uh, I heard myself say, here, I've finished the mural, have some cans. So off they wandered, sprayed around like two kids, um, it's a joyous, wonderful place to be. Then they came back and she said, I work for Nescafe. And this kind of osmosis of raw creative energy to defined creative energy is what Leak Street's all about. And yet I continue to go back. The canvas changes every single day. I'm lucky because I've stuck mine on the ceiling. But the sheer dynamic creative energy is untamable. And if you if you if you accept that, it gives constantly gives to you. It constantly gives, and that's what it does. Beyond Leak Street, creative energy gives if you give to it, um, if you share of it. Yeah. So these guys literally said, "Oh, we're doing the London Coffee Festival. Um, can you do a mural for that? Can you do?" And then suddenly, I was live, uh, did a live mural, and then I ended up doing their coffee machines at WH Smiths, and all the you know, the, the, if you look at the coffee machines it's got my design on wow. purely because i gave that energy back in that moment going here have a can that's all i did yeah and um, but that energy that that positive energy um never see it. part of me still does not understand it um but the more you give the more you get back Definitely. it's as simple as that you know, giving value yeah, yeah. With, with, without question yeah so the guinness thing exactly the same that was um you know, me giving back and, and doing like free kind of murals and whatever and doing community stuff. And then suddenly I got a message saying uh, we're doing an sh- uh, uh, Instagram video uh, advert for Guinness. Would you be interested? <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course, yeah. without question. And then what I do is um, I've got this 10% rule, so I try and give 10% back. Yeah. So from that, if I can give something, not necessarily monetary value, but some kind of resource from that experience, you give it back and the whole system kicks in. If you hoard it, um, it just stops. It's as simple as that. So, um, so because I ask this quite a lot to, to let's say, your uh, typical street artist, contemporary urban artist, um, obviously where you monetize stuff is going to be through merchandise, limited editions, your canvas works, etc., but the mural, it seems, from my perspective, it's number one, a creative outlet, but number two, it's a form of advertisement for yourself because when you put that up on your socials, that's something that someone can't really buy, but you get the awareness. So is that what is, is, are those the two reasons why you do it? It's one, creative outlet, you know, you're being creative, and two, you know, you know that eventually someone may see it like a Guinness, like a Nestle, or even another artist who want to collaborate with you. Is 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 that is that why you do it? With the, with the first and foremost, because it's fun, <laughs> without question, it's amazing to be able to in the middle of London, in the middle of London, one of the most dynamic creative cities in the world. You are able to do 
massive, massive murals and not have the police breathing down your neck on whatever. The second reason I do it is because, um, uh, and I, you know, it constantly gives. You know, it, 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 Leak Street alone is, is a very giving place. Um, it, it's also, it, it teaches you humility uh, because uh, when you think, uh, when you literally do, a, I don't know, a 50-meter mural, you take the photos, you put it on social media, and then you turn around and walk away because literally I've had my murals covered within one hour of me leaving. Oh. Um, but but that, for me, is a liberating thing. I really don't mind. I learned very quickly that actually that is why it works. You know, um, as long as I get the photos in, as long as I connect with people as I'm making it, I have had opportunities to do other murals that are much more long-standing. You know, um, and the other reason to do it, it's, it's pretty obvious, it's great advertising. Yeah. You know? it, it connects you with industry, um, but it also connects you with other artists. You're completely right. A collaboration, I wish they taught me this. I keep saying this to everybody. Collaboration for me, um, since 2012, I had no idea how powerful it was until I started collaborating, especially through Leak Street. Leak Street really taught me a valuable lesson. Literally, just collaborate with anybody as long as you feel comfortable doing so. If you have a an intuitive connection with somebody, just try and create something because invariably you get an upgrade way beyond your wildest imagination. Yeah, literally. So, um, so canvases. Um, I know when we were first uh, talking about doing some business together, you know, some some time ago. I think it was when we very first moved into this this studio. Um, this many years ago I know you were going into things like um, scarves you know female scarves a bit like the Hermes type scarves that you know um, you know which are really really cool like silk uh, I remember seeing some designs and no doubt things have evolved since then so talk to us about that like the merchandise and the clothing is that something that is still quite so important to you it's important but it, the narrative is important so for example um, I can literally take a bunch of designs now and put them on T-shirts <coughs> and whatever, which is fantastic. Um, but for me personally, uh, to create a body of work that um, has a narrative to it, because the artwork wouldn't exist without the narrative. So I'm realising, especially during the pandemic, it's really important for me to actually take stock of what I've done, take stock of my journey, take stock of the reason why I do the reason why I do, and to actually bring it all together and create a narrative, which is what I'm doing um, very much so in behind the scenes at the moment. And actually to relaunch, there's this constant evolutionary aspect to what I do and every artist anyway. But I realised that actually um, without the narrative, it loses its luster. You know, when you're talking, we talk about NFTs. Um, the reason why NFTs sell, I've discovered, is because I'm telling people the story of how my NFT came into experience. They love a story. So when I look at my characters, the doodle characters, and I look at Dark Mark, and I look at all the other things I'm doing, um, I'm like, there's a really cool story here. So that is why I'm kind of... Uh, the pandemic's been a blessing in disguise in many different ways, um, but this is one element I'm doing at the moment, which is actually considering my story. Why am I doing what I'm doing? How did I get to this point? You know, what am I doing with what I'm doing in a way that means that I'm growing as a human being? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what it does is, that, I mean, you, you with Woodhouse alone, the story of you up until now is probably more phenomenal than you realise because it's inspirational. It has 
you know, you, you, you talk, you can say about things that you realize that you could have done better. That's inspiration. That is sharing resources. And so that's the juicy stuff. And invariably it upgrades your game every single time. If you share the story, other people get inspired. And then funny enough, if you inspire other people, suddenly people start inspiring you and the whole system kicks in. Does yeah. that make sense? To- totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Hence why I like doing this podcast because I love getting out the stories that people don't normally hear because yeah. it only takes one person, a young boy, a young girl who is, might be a little bit lost in life and they hear a conversation like this and it might give them that spark or that, that encouragement Absolutely. to go and follow Absolutely. a dream or, or even a goal. So you just touched on NFTs, okay? Yes. So non fungible token yeah yes now i'm still getting my head around it um i do understand it a lot more than i did let's say six months ago but i I wouldn't class myself in any stretch of imagination uh, an expert or someone like knows a lot about it as i mentioned off air we had a woodbury house clubhouse um, account and a good friend of mine who's been on this podcast jevon who's a music artist um he's very much into the nft world and I, i know he's got a sort of a side business or a business that is developing and he was one of one of our hosts. The other thing as well is I've just qualified with my business partner, Joe, a Sotheby's uh, art and finance, uh, I don't know if you call it a de- degree, but you get a certificate at the end of it. It's over six weeks. And during that process, they will speak about NFTs as well. So wherever I'm looking, clubhouse, uh, big auction houses like Sotheby's, now you speaking to you as an artist, there's no getting away from it. NFTs are here, they're here to stay, and they seem like they're going to thrive but as you pointed out earlier to me off air as well it moves so quickly that it can move down it can move up so for my own knowledge and also for the audience's kind of education talk talk to us about your experience about nfts and how that's kind of helps your market so um first to clarify i'm definitely not an expert yeah. <laughs> because ultimately what i know um like i said to you what i know my experience today which has been what four or five months um which seems <laughs> like an attorney a time in uh, nft world um goes really quickly but literally you miss two days if you have a two-day break you're like what the hell's going on when you get back but ultimately think of nfts as being similar to leak stream NFTs thrive off community. NFT community is so much more vibrant than its sister community, which is the real life community. The only thing I think that comes near it is the street art community, because you know you have these collectives, you have these crews, um, you know these group of graffiti artists or street artists that work together and they and they form that wonderful bonding uh, collaboration aspect, whatever. Um, but with the NFT community. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the one I'm, I'm with now, which is the Hicket Nunk community. Um, it's a Brazilian NFC platform working with Tezos. Um, <laughs> it is gloriously maverick. It is gloriously unpredictable. It is extremely creative, and it is very much advocating for each other. So um, the, actual, the actual site um, has photographers. It has people that do sculpture. There's a lot of 3D art digital art there's me doing my doodles there's street art there is literally everything everything you can take any um creative element and turn it into an nft if you can put it into a digital format Mm. but what's happening is they're taking these nfts and they're becoming really really uh, creative with it so the actual scope of what you can do 
is actually becoming much, much more uh, broad in terms of, like, for instance, with clothing. So at the beginning, around Mar- February time, when they did the Beeble thing, yeah, I mean, fantastic result. And, you know, the, an Indian guy invested in a whole load of it. You know, I was reading about it. And so there was this kind of, oh, it's all of these really exclusive NFTs, big artists, da-da-da-da-da. But that, in a very short space of time, that now is evolving into a much more, um, it, I'm seeing a lot of fashion, as what I mentioned to you. So um, people, instead of doing really big gun, uh, which they're still doing, NFTs, right, big artists, people are now creating a platform where they can sell NFTs of T-shirts. So you buy the NFT, which is it's almost like a certificate of authentication, which is another way of looking at it. Mm. And they get sent a one-off, very hyper-exclusive T-shirt. And we were talking the other day, I said, can you imagine it? If you walk into a shop, a T-shirt shop or a, or a clothes shop, and instead of seeing clothing, you have racks of NFTs, like screens with the image on, and you buy that and it gets sent to you and it gets sent to your um, uh, your crypto wallet. The downside about NFTs, it's very vulnerable to the cryptocurrencies. So I'm getting used to yeah. <laughs> the thing going up and down like a yo-yo. At the moment, this is quite troublesome because... Obviously, China's doing whatever China's doing. And Elon Musk is opening his mouth every five seconds and causing ripples. But uh, what, what's interesting is, especially on the Hicketnun community, is it tends to counter that with, uh, it almost balances that with a new creative outburst. So it, it, is, it is fascinating watching the whole community. There's the ETH community, which is the, um, the, the original kind of platform. Um, but to be honest with you, the best way to learn about NFTs is to go onto Clubhouse, either go to NFT Tips or NFT for Dummies, or literally go into any room that has NFTs as a title, and you learn very, very quickly about the ins and outs of it. So Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so have you made your own art, NFT art, and and, 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 and been successful? Like, yeah, on no, yeah, like really successful. What it, what it does is it's only successful if I plug into the community. It's only successful if I give as much as I get. Um, so what we do on the Hickenlun community, for example, is we um, initially, there was this huge push to giveaway art people were literally swapping art like uh nfts like uh those old cards you used to get as yeah kids. Like you know, top stickers, trumps yeah top trumps that kind of thing and um so <clears throat> ethereum was more collector orientated and you know exclusivity and kudos hiccup <clears throat> and tezos which is the tezos chain was more um led by artists so there was this humongous resurgence. <laughs> Ethereum kind of was becoming much more expensive and it wasn't easy, as an artist, it wasn't easy to accommodate yourself with it because the gas fees to process things was becoming higher. And then suddenly Tezos came alone and the gas fees were negligible. So that suddenly took off. But recently there's been a new twist in the tale. Hicketnunk got hacked. Literally the whole platform has been shut down and this is how this is what happens in the NFT world. They're writing it. They're they're obviously they left the back door open. Seven artists got um, artwork uh, stolen, from what I can gather, or borrowed, or whatever. And <laughs> what's happening now is they're recoding everything. This is how new it is. And apparently, the artworks will be given back. It was all kind of like just to prove a point. 
but that's how much of a roller coaster it is, you know. So, how, how would you go about uploading your own NFT piece of art? Because so, I- uh, if you go to Hikonanki, you get a Tezos uh, wallet, which is either a, a Kukai or a, a Temple. There's another one, but those are the main. I use a Kukai one; it's really easy. A web-based uh, uh, wallet. You literally attach yourself that wallet to the actual website. And you load up your stuff. Okay. And so you, you could literally, if I could take a picture of this microphone in front of me right now, uh, maybe put the background, put an image or something, make it so it's kind of quirky or it says something. And then within five minutes, I've put it up as for sale. And where, where do you advertise it for sale? Uh, Twitter, without question. Twitter, Twitter, yeah? Twitter, Twitter. Wow. Uh, Instagram is like a tumbleweed. Uh, very little happens on this. So the reason why Twitter has got the edge is because it, you can actually chat in time. You can literally launch your, your um, say if I did an edition of 10 and two people, or two or three people buy it, I can go, fantastic, thank you for buying my energy. Is it like a bid or is it just a there set is, price? There is, there is set prices. There is also functionality to have auctioning. Okay, stuff like that's that. That's interesting. So um, you can do the auction. The auctions work really well on foundation. That's where you get good money. Um, the auctions on um, Hicketnunk work really, really well, um, but it's it it needs to evolve to be to, uh, so it becomes sustainable. At okay. the moment, and some people have sold really well, but because it's um, the price is lower because it artist buying artist, but the big collectors are coming in and the prices are becoming much more representative for artists as a whole. Right. So uh, give us a comparison. There's so much to do. I, I mean, I can wax lyrical constantly, but I, I can, I'm noticing as I'm talking that I'm um, telling the story of NFTs is literally a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, you get really good highs, then you get these really, like with Hickenum um, being hacked, um, but in probably two, three days' time, it It'll will be. literally go back up again. Everybody will have another party and then some little twist in the tail. It's literally like a soap opera on acid. It really, really is. <laughs> That's a good analogy. So um, give us an example, a comparison. Your canvas works, one yeah. of your best ones, one of the doodles that you do, yeah. uh, to an NFT. What is the price difference? So on Ethereum, that's a really good question. If I was doing it an Ethereum price difference, the cost of the NFT is more than the canvas. If I do a Tezos one, which is Hickenunk, it would be less. But then you're offering, um, when something is more, um, it's because it's accommodating uh, more cost involved in minting. Hickenunk is really uh, inexpensive to mint, so the price okay. comes down. So that is one of the the um, that is one of the trickier aspects. And again, it's right at the beginning. We're only like six months old. You know, it's literally trying to figure itself out constantly. Um, but the engagement and the potential to make sales is vastly more dynamic than real world at the moment, especially in February and March, you know, uh, before the China kind of did this thing with Bitcoin and whatever. Um, the sales there were insane, literally insane. In my first two weeks on the Ethereum, I made more money than I did in the previous year. Wow. That, you know, with the pandemic and suddenly everything shut down as a creative, I was faced with the reality that um, I needed to reboot the system, hence why I made my own online gallery um, to reboot the system because I realized that more you give, the more you get back. 
But the first two weeks of my um, Ethereum experience in March, I made more money than I did in the previous year during a pandemic. Mm. So that's how amazing that was. Um, Now I'm making uh, enough money. uh, (laughs) I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Considering the times we're living in, considering the challenges that creators are facing, I'm doing pretty well. Well, I mean, this 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 part of this conversation is more like an entrepreneurial kind of business stroke mindset topic because what I love about what you just said there, I'm I regard myself as a very optimistic person. I'm so optimistic. I think you are. I believe I could jump out an aeroplane with no parachute and actually be fine. How as, as crazy as, as as that sounds? Not that I'm going to test it. Yeah, but that's, don't do that. But that's do that. but that's the kind of optimism I, I've got, and I think you have to have that in business. Um, what I love about what you said is when the pandemic hit, you your words were just to coin your phrases, reboot the system, and that's great because things in life will come into our space to disrupt what we're doing. It will take us outside our comfort zone. Now, some people can say, oh, it's bad and it's depressing times and there's so much adversity out there and, and it, it, you know, thing, things are b- being troubled. Another person, like you're doing, is, okay, this is coming to our space. COVID's hit. There's nothing we can do about it. We've got lockdown. How can I pivot and use it for me rather than against me? And what I love about this story is you've gone into this new medium. I think you call NFTs a, a new medium. And, and, and you're killing it. And it's great. So, so if you think of it in terms of like this, if something bad happened to me today, it could be anything, you know. Um, and my initial reaction, that flight and flight response, I have no control over. And long ago, I made peace with the fact that I'm going to react sometimes in ways that I wouldn't really choose to react. It's, I had, literally have no control over that. So when the <clears> pandemic <throat> hit, it's really important actually for me to remember this. I had, I think, about a week a week before the actual first lockdown where I panicked, I was like, what the hell's going on? You know, what, you know, and <clears throat> everything was coming to a grinding halt. There was a real sense of something really, really bad was happening. Then about two weeks into the lockdown, I was able to recognize that I was leaving the fight and fight response. And I was like, so how can we, what can we do? You know, what's within your power to make a choice, creative choice, really important, that means that you are, you're choosing to go with the flow of this situation. And that's how the, the gallery appeared, the online gallery. Um, I've literally created a gallery. I would not have done this if the pandemic hadn't happened. So that choice um, to embrace this potential and, and then make the decision to act on it, that's the most important thing as well. You make a decision to act on the choice and to see what would happen. But then, ultimately, the, the NFT thing, I chose to, com- A, believe in it, because initially, like you, I was like, I don't get it. I'm not a tech person. And anything I've said today that actually potentially is wrong, I'm please, you know, I, I, you know this is my perception, um, but obviously sometimes I, it's misconceived. But most, most important within that is the idea that when I look at NFTs, and I look at their um, inherent um, roller coaster nature. I realize that when things uh, are challenging me within the NFT community, every single time I have decided to look at it as an opportunity, it's actually given back something really beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. 
really beautiful. I, th- I think I think that's such a great lesson in life that no matter what happens to you or your family or friends or in your circle, yeah. I think if you can try and treat everything as an opportunity to grow and evolve and to benefit in some way, and sometimes then benefits are hidden. You know, something might happen to you which causes a lot of anger, stress, um, uncertainty. But I think when you can step back out and become calm and methodical, there is opportunity there. So the pandemic hit basically like April, May last year, and it's full force. And the, the, the famous saying was, we just need to flatten the curve. And after two or three weeks, we'll be out. Two or three lockdowns later, and a year and a bit later, we're still basically in it. I know we're coming out of it now. Um when did you, so you discovered, you done the online gallery, yeah. which was the that first. That was 2020. Yeah, great move. Yeah. Um, obviously, you said two things, embrace and act. And I think there's two important things. But then you must have had a mindset of, I'm open to new opportunities here. And that's when the NFT world come, came into your space. Is that right? Yeah, without question. So if you if you kind of, um, and like everybody, I started hearing rumblings, you know, I don't know if you agree with this. So you know, you run a you run this um, this this uh, Woodbury House, and Woodbury House um, runs on the fact that people are coming in and they're seeing the space, interacting with you as somebody who is a expert or somebody who's a conduit to connect with these amazing pictures. Um, it it thrives on connection. It does. So yeah. um, when the NFT community took off. And the clubhouse community, interestingly, pretty much in tandem, took off, which then lit up X amount of other amazing potential products, uh, projects. The whole thing kicked into place because um, as, as a human being, um, I need to be connected to at least one other human being doing something creative. If I'm on my own, in my own company, I'm on really thin ice, you know? That's where it, uh, that's where I suffer um, from mental health stress. You know, um, I remember walking around around the park near to where I live and thinking I need to move out of the way of this person. And it was such an alien thing to suddenly not be able to connect. But mm. then the whole online thing and NFT is online yeah. or in um, the metaverse. Metaverse is it's a new one. Have you heard of those? No. <laughs> no. So metaverse is the new. It, it's constantly growing and reevaluated. They have things like crypto voxels. Crypto voxels is a metaverse where NFTs are being sold, and you can have your own gallery. Sotheby's or either Christie's or Sotheby's are on crypto voxels, or either it's either that or a Decentraland. Everything is being created in these decentralized spaces, and people are actively buying NFTs as avatars wandering into these buildings i'll I'll send you the link hey it's mind-blowing stuff so going back to let's just say i was the collector Mm -hmm. the investor um well that's actually a good point i mean when people buy nfts like from your from your art are they buying it one to enjoy or are they doing it because it's another good place to put their money they might have a lot of money spare cash and are they are they investing into it with the the view that in two, three, four, five years, or even sooner, that it's going to go up in value and they can capitalise on it? So who is the demographic that buys it? So I would imagine, and um, this is me, uh, you know, kind of thinking generally about it. There are there are people who collect because they enjoy the artwork, full stop. And there are definitely people who are collecting as an investment. You know, the more the more prevalent you are on the scene in terms of, you know, your kudos as an artist, helping other artists, whatever, uh, certainly on Clubhouse, this is pretty evident, and Twitter as well, 
um, it increases your potential to be uh, an artist to collect. You know, it, it is the, the promotion aspect works really well because you're online already. You know, so um, yeah, I think there's pretty much a lot of collectors there okay. who are going to make a good. They got things like derivatives, so they had uh, the Board Ape Club. Have you heard of that? No. Oh God, you've got so much to no, tell yeah, you. Yeah, I know. The Board Ape Club. They they he <laughs> sold ten thousand um, uh, algorithm created images of an ape, but they're all unique, right? And they they're selling for hotcakes now. They were they were literally all bought up ten thousand, and they're all now being swapped. And and uh, from my understanding, people are making. A lot of money. Mind a lot blowing. of money. So um, if I could be direct, and I hope you, yeah, can, you, can, you, can, you can answer this. Um, what is the most expensive NFT you've sold on, on there? I sold one for just under £2,000. Cool. And, uh, just uh, under 2000 And your, your canvas works? I mean, how, how much do they typically sell for now? Uh, well, if this piece was a canvas, it would be... Just about the same price, actually. Okay. Just about the same but, price. But what you're saying is you're selling more NFTs in comparison to the yeah, canvases. yeah. At the moment, most most of mine are digital. You can I can take a picture of a, a painting, and then a, a decent photo, and sell that as an NFT separately. But most of my stuff now is digital. So I was going to say because is the manpower slightly less or different when doing an NFT in comparison to a canvas work. <laughs> So if you consider this, uh, the studio was locked down in the pandemic, so I couldn't do <coughs> any physical work. I had this thing called an iPad, which I had indulged. I'd bought one, whatever, but suddenly the iPad became my studio, and I'm pretty sure that's the same for everybody else. And that and that iPad, whatever your use, it, it just gave the opportunity for a whole different frontier. Wow. You know, an NFT essentially is making a digital... Uh, uh, representation, creative, rep- and an exclusive thing. You know, that's that's the bit. So beforehand, I could go and take a picture of... Uh, so the Mona Lisa is... They, they use the Mona Lisa as an example. Um, there is... A, I'm sure it's not the real one. It's probably a fake one anyway. The one that's showing the Louvre Museum. Yeah. Um, that's the original. You know, how do we know it's an original? There it is in behind the glass. Um, I could go online and take a picture of the Mona Lisa, a pretty good rendition, high high pixel, print it off, put it in a frame, and I've got my own Mona, but it's not the original. With the NFT, it creates a, a contract, a smart contract, that's put on the blockchain, whether it's Ethereum or Tezos, and this is my understanding, I'm not tech savvy, um, but essentially that smart contract gives the uh, the exclusivity for that NFT. So it there it is. There's that's the original. That's the exclusive. That's the one that has the um, the kudos of being the exclusive. So after all these years of um, digital work, suffering from this fact that actually you can get as many renditions as you want, now there is a, now there is the Mona Lisa. There it is. It's on the blockchain as opposed to being you know behind glass in the Louvre Museum. So if you have that. It, it maintains um, a value, a okay. kudos value. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I've 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 heard Jevin talk about it. I've heard different people talk, and and I'm I'm getting to grips with it a bit. What sometimes I find a little bit difficult to get my head around is the end user again. So if I buy a piece from you, 
how do I enjoy it? Do I have it up in my house somewhere or my so office? So there's ways that's, yeah, this is a really good question. So you're, you're thinking in terms of a physical appreciation, a physical world of appreciation of something digital. So what some people do is they, um, so for example, I give the free, a free high resolution JPEG of the NFT to people who buy one of my NFTs. Okay. So they get the NFT, there it is in their wallet. Yeah. You can look at it, you know, but Here's the actual uh, JPEG full resolution. You can print it off nice and big, and collectors love that. So they have the the, the original on the on the blockchain, but they also have uh, a rendition themselves. Other people, you can potentially showcase your NFT on a digital screen in your house. Okay. So there is ways around it, and I know people have done that as well. So I do want to sort of pivot the conversation slightly because sure. I'm always interested when I'm speaking to an artist a sports person or even an entrepreneur, why they, they do what they do? Like, why do they get into this space? I mean, because typically speaking, being an artist, especially a street contemporary artist who does murals and stuff, isn't a typical route. Well, I'm saying it from my experience. I'm 35 years of age. I know what my mum and dad was like when I was growing up. Get a good job, you know, uh, become a plumber or do something like that because you're always going to, you know, be in work and you're always going to make money. So, to become an athlete or maybe a an artist wasn't really drilled into me. So why did you become an artist and what inspired you to do that? Um, I've always had the creative strain, <laughs> the creative the gene, leaning, yeah. the, that, that particular way of appreciating the world. Um, but I'm not conventional. I don't fit into a box. I quite happily fle- um, uh, present myself in a way that means that I can fit pretty much anywhere. Um but I don't do the nine to five existence. Yeah. I, I, my every day at pretty much every hour, I'm working on something creative. If you said, right, between the hours of nine and five, you're going to be creative. I, I, that kind <clears> of, it's like a Lego with a stickle bricker. I don't get it. I don't understand yeah. that. Um, the, the other reason why I'm a, an artist is because it is great fun. It is an, a sheer joy to be able to go to your office, which is your studio sit there and just grab something and start producing magic. Yeah. That's what I do for a living. I produce magic. You know, me, um, not me personally, I'm a conduit for something much more powerful. If you talk to Richard Hamilton about his work, he would probably describe to you this this process where he opens himself to the magic and then literally it comes through him as, as a filter. You know, so... You know, I, I, being an artist is a, a, a real honor. It's a real joy. I'm incredibly grateful for it. It's a pain in the ass sometimes because it's unpredictable. Um, there is that element. There is a lot, of, like uh, Tony Robbins would say. I was talking about this the other day. Um, he, he said, you, you need certainty and uncertainty in your life. As an artist, I love uncertainty because that's the creative juices flowing. It's like, what's mm. going to happen? Um at the same time, I struggle with uncertainty because if you said to me, what are you going to be doing next year? I'm like, I have no idea. Mm. You know, that's why I love the NFT community because it's really uncertain. But I, I think also um, the, if somebody said there is no, you, you can't make a living being an artist, um, you can choose to try and make a living, to be anything. If you choose to actually switch yourself on as a creative to find the opportunity that changes everything. You will find it if you choose to see it. That's that's the thing. The, I was thinking about this on the train coming in today. The every, At every juncture of me 
choosing, for example, with the mural recently, there's a four-story wall, a four-story wall. I have a real problem with heights and they're making me get onto this machine that's going to go really frigging high. And I was saying, oh, do you have a harness? No, you don't need a harness. And I got to the top and I was like, oh, geez, Louise, my legs were going weak and stuff. And I was like, Mark, either you choose to do this or you don't. Either you choose to actually experience this really difficult situation or you don't. Make that choice right now. Simple as as an artist, you get to make those kind of choices all the time. Literally, you're walking a tightrope between, you know, doing something or not doing something. Walking into that fear or not doing that fear. Yeah. You know, that to me is far more vibrant than, you know, a nine to five. Except, nothing wrong with a nine to five, but it doesn't. That's not your me. calling. Yeah. No. So, so coming out of school then, um, did you go straight into becoming a creative or? So no, no I, I did. So I did the whole creative. Um, I knew I had that, but my problem was, and which, and you know, I've talked to you about this before. Um, I got sober in two April two thousand and twelve, and the fact that I got sober was the was when I truly became a creative. Okay. I had no idea how creative I was until I stopped drinking and and doing drugs. No idea. And the moment I stopped, I think it was about. Six months into my recovery, fucking everything came back online. I had literally one of the best things about being sober was I got my creativity and I and I became much more aware of this amazing gift that had, I want to I want to ask given. you something on that. Um, yeah, sure. Is um, I may this going to sound like a bit of a silly question, but there is there a reason. Are no silly question. Why did you decide to become sober? Like then that is not a silly question. So there there is a point. If you think of any challenging situation where you're making the wrong choices, but you're choosing not to see the fact that you're making the wrong choices, or you're unable to see the fact that you're making the wrong choices. You know, I long before I made the choice to stop drinking, I had gone down the rabbit hole, but I was choosing to not see what I was doing. And then one morning when I woke up and saw the carnage, like real carnage from the night before, I had this moment of revelation, like, you you and drink ain't working <laughs> it's not looking great you know and it was it was a real gift but those fleet those moments are really fleeting it is very easy to suddenly miss the opportunity but thankfully i was like i can't do this anymore i'm really tired i don't like who i'm being i don't like the decisions i'm making and i stepped in i chose to step into it it is probably one of the um it's the best thing you can do but it's one of the most hardest, beautiful decisions I've ever made because I had to look at all my things that create fear in me. Um, I'm still looking, by the way. I'm a work in progress. It's you never, you never, uh, what's it called? You never um, graduate from the uh, the college of life. You never graduate. You constantly learn. That's why with the NFT thing, with it going up and down. I've noticed that actually I'm not stepping off the ride, regardless of how bumpy it is. Mm. I'm I'm like choosing to to reboot the system on a daily basis at the moment because mm. it is literally like that. Yeah. But reevaluating what my core principles are as an artist, which is advocation, collaboration, a connection, um, and 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 using my gift that's been given to me to the best of my ability to make sure I'm being a half-decent human being today. So, you know, it's about creating principles. 
you know, I can't, there's a lot of stuff that I have no control over, just like the pandemic, mm. but I have these principles, which I try my best to do on a daily basis. So when I became sober, um, I became a decent human being. I actually switched back on. And like, was the drinking and like, you know, part, maybe partying and, and drugs and stuff, was it like binge or was it every day or was it every so often? Or It was to the point. So I, 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 with things in general, if you put in front of me now a cake, a chocolate cake, I would probably eat the whole cake. <laughs> and I'd probably, you know, after the first two or three slices, in fact, the slices, I would probably take a quarter and say, I'm only having a small slice. Yeah. My, my perception is what, but as an artist, now, I, I re- and that's where the dark, I'm realising, talking to you right now, the dark mark energy is the energy that means that I can consume a whole cake. You know, it is, it is so all-consuming, it's so vibrant, mm. but if I use it in uh, the, the lens of my principles as an artist, it, I can use it for good. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm like any other human being. I am I am pray. Or I, I I have this experience with emotions on a daily basis. Um, it's what I do with these emotions that is the point. Either if I don't do anything with them, I end up eating a whole cake, <laughs> or or downing X amount of bottles of vodka. But if I actually choose to do something decent, then suddenly. Um, what seems like a really dire situation actually becomes a silver lining with a cloud. So, so um, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm yeah. Living here, yeah. You know. Well, I, well, again, like you're 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 recognizing certain things that you've gone through, yeah, experiences which at the time and some people may perceive as being negative. Actually, it's you know, look, there's probably sometimes back then where you didn't have you know a great time, but you're using that energy and you're using those experiences to go into your work. Um, sure. I'm just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with the ups and downs of, of anybody because I feel like I've stepped into some, some of these places as well. And, you know, I, I like to learn and I like to learn from other people's experiences. They do say the definition of wisdom is when you look at someone's experiences and you use it in your own life and you learn from it yourself. So like, you know, like going back to the drink and, and drugs and stuff, it's quite funny because certain artists, including Hamilton, including Jean-Michel Basquiat, including Keith Haring, it was quite known and it was notorious back in the 70s and 80s, especially in New York, that all the artists, not just one, all of them were on drugs. Heroin was, you know, the choice of, of, of poison back then, crack, cocaine, etc. And in some ways, that actually helps their work. And Jean-Michel Basquiat... So that's a misnomer. I would have to... Yeah? I would have to stretch out here. There is this thing called um, a functioning alcoholic. Yep. So there is this um, thing called a, uh, a nostalgic vision of an artist being downing X amount of booze or snorting x amount of lines of cocaine it's when you stop doing these things that your artwork truly becomes the magic that it was always supposed to be if you look at some of the works i'm thinking of uh, jackson pollock uh towards later in his life the the quality <laughs> of his work was severely compromised severely compromised because what's happening um if I chose to drink today, I'm nine years sober, so I'm not going to do. I'm definitely not going to do this. But if I chose to drink today, I probably wouldn't spontaneously combust. But the whole system of denial kicks in. You can't selectively, as Brini Brown mentions. I love that woman so much. 
You can't selectively numb emotion. So if I turn my back against pain, the whole system switches off. You know, I can't feel joy. I can't feel happiness. I can't feel creativity. So if I'm drinking to dull pain, whatever that, in whatever capacity, I can't be creative. Mm. I can try, but it becomes forced. It becomes predictable. It becomes stayed. It becomes um, a, a shadow of its former self. Yeah. So when I switch back on the creativity, this thing called dark mark appears. You know, it's always been there, but it's something that I've pushed to one side because of it's painful. But then I can't, the doodling becomes, it, it becomes really sad. I've got examples of work pre-sobriety where you could see it's trying to be magical, but it's, it, it's, not, it's not touching the sides, mm. you know? So there's this weird uh, transition from uh, having a hole in your soul to being a human being, uh, a spiritual being having a human experience. That's what I'm having right now. I'm having a human emotional experience and I'm using my emotions not only to navigate my experience but to create with them. So when I when I get these dark mark impulses, I'm like, okay, let's go. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm... I'm I'm pre- pretty much ready to rumble, even though I really have to peel myself out of the bed. The energy to the the compulsion to let the the stuff come out is huge, yeah. huge, all consuming. I, I'll tell you why I sort of because I remember having quite a similar conversation with you about the whole drink, drugs, uh, creativity, art, that kind of stuff. I think bearing in mind my knowledge of the art market, even I've been in it since 2014, is really concentrated in Hamilton and his affiliates. And when I watched the documentary of Jean-Michel Basquiat, The Radiant Child, I think in that documentary it mentions that there was a time when he was trying to come off of the heroin and a lot of art, uh, art collectors or investors, their perception of that art he was doing wasn't as good as when he was on 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 heroin, uh, you know, quite quite majorly. So, can you imagine the if that if that was a reality for any artist, um, the collectors are basically saying we need you to maintain it's, this yeah. drug induced um, to for us to to believe in you as a person. Mm. The 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 emotional content there is way beyond painful. Yeah, way beyond painful. Yeah, but there is a misnomer because mm. f- for me personally, and I know other creatives who've come away from that experience and entered into this thing called sobriety and then really experienced creativity for all it's worth. Yeah. You know, I still get these moments where I'm, I'm faced with um, the blank canvas or the blank piece of paper or the blank wall. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I don't know where to start. And it's like, actually, <coughs> yes, you do. All you need to do is pick up the, the can or the pencil or whatever implement you're going to make a mark making with and just get on with it. You choose, like I did with the, the the mural. I chose to get on this thing that was four stories high, and I chose to start the process because I believe every time I've done it, it's worked. Mm. But if I disbelieve it, I'm in trouble without question. And that disbelief is also another variation of denial. I might as well have a Cinzano and lemonade. And you know that's that's the cut. That is the line that I walk on a daily basis. Right. You know, um, you know, the cake analogy is a really good one, by the way. It really, really is. Because ultimately, you know, as a, a collector can turn around to me and say, Mark, I really liked your artwork when you were downing loads of vodka. But the thing is, there's no end to that, how much vodka. I, there is no kind of like, Mark, if you have two bottles of vodka, you'll produce great art. 
as an addict, there is no end to the vodka. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, um, it's, 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 it's like a kiss of death. Yeah. But it, with addiction, it's a slow process. Mm. It takes its time. It, I am so freaking talking to you today has made me realize how lucky I am to have the opportunity to really experience life on life's terms. If I, if I turn my back on it, I, I probably wouldn't be here now. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. Pretty it's, sure. It's great that, like you, you, you know, you've gone through these different chapters and you found your calling, and it's just a, a magical thing to see. Um, just on that final note, then, I mean, you've been through that process. What, what, what advice or what tips or what kind of views can you give an audience who might be going through some kind of addiction? It doesn't have to be drinking drugs; it could be something else. How do you recognize that you're in it and stop doing a denial, and then use that energy for something really positive? The, without question, um, the first <laughs> the first step in any process is to see it truly for what it is. You know, so if you if you put addiction to one side and just think about any situation, I would say to anybody in your audience right now, if you're feeling pain, is uh, in any context emotionally, is to stop what you're doing right now and actually sit and acknowledge that pain before you do anything else go I am feeling angry or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling confused and then ask the question why really ask the question what is what is truly going on here and what usually happens is um, I had to ask that question today you know because I, I I'm becoming privy to this thing called emotional content and I'm like oh, I'm feeling a bit of tension I'm feeling a bit and it's to do with the hickenunk um, being taken offline, I've got this anger apparently to do with the, the hacker because uh, for whatever reason. Once I've acknowledged that pain, I can then make a decision to do something based on the principles that I'm trying to do in my life, whether it's being creative or whatever. So if you're if you're if you're looking at um, if you're sat at a table right now listening to this and and it's that cliche thing, isn't it? There's the glass on the side of the table. Um, half full and apparently it's got some ice in it to water down the alcohol it's like yeah whatever you know and you've got that bottle of vodka uh, uh, you know Tesco's finest um, and then you look at it and go this what is the reality of this situation you know it, 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 is this benefiting me or is it depriving me is it causing problems or is it actually creating solutions it's to have that open dialogue it's really difficult because you sometimes you can't see beyond the end of your nose. But deep down, you know that something... I knew for a long time that something was wrong. You know, it, it's not normal to wake up in the morning and be in a bush in somebody's garden and not know where you are. That's not normal. Most people wake up in a bed and it's their own bed. You know, it's not normal to do all these things. But once you actually switch on to the reality of your situation and ask personal questions... That actually means that you're being brutally honest. That is a game changer because then you can you have choice. You can choose. You suddenly I when I was drinking I had no choice. None at all. Literally no choice. The only choice I had was drink. You know, everything I was doing was drink related. But the moment I turned my back on that is the moment that my whole life became literally this amazing experience. It's still a pain in the ass sometimes, but I'd rather feel the pain and feel nothing. Mm. An addiction, you don't feel anything. It's literally, there's nothing there. 
It's 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 the hole in the soul is a really great way of describing it. Yeah, that is. You know, you get. I've given one example. The the typical stereotypical. We'll use an artist actually. The typical stereotypical um, artist who maybe is an alcoholic is they go to wild. They're really wild. They go to the parties and they you know they have a few scraps of people. They have loads of sex with people and then they go to their studio and produce shitloads of good art. Um, that's that's a misnomer. It's it's a myth. It's a complete myth, because ultimately, um, the a, a decent artist, a, a a good artist, is somebody who is really honest with how they are feeling about any given situation, and then sharing that with integrity. That's the other one as well. I've never had so much integrity in my life, and the only reason I have integrity in my creative practice is because I'm not drunk right. You know, that's that's a good artist being really truthful and wholesome with their situation. And um, uh, a question which is not directly linked, but I thought it was perfect one to, to go on to. Um, advice for someone that wants to get into the art world. Yeah. Because you as an artist, you know, you've transitioned a few times, you know, and you're evolving and you've gone through a challenge Anyone that wants to get become an artist, what are the kind of things that they should be aware of? Uh, things that they should do, how to get inspiration, motivation, so, how they find their creative angle in life. So, there's whenever send, somebody says to me, "Mark, you should, shouldn't, must, must not." Um, that I, I smile because actually, um, I don't need to do anything. I can choose to do something, but I don't need to do anything. It's all down to choice. So, when if you are listening to this. And you know you're a creative. You know you're a creative because deep in your heart and hearts, you know you're not a nine-to-five person. Then make the decision to embrace that. It's almost like coming out of the closet. I remember the first time I said, somebody said, well, Mark, what do you do? And I said, I'm an artist. And I said it without crumbling inside or feeling like a fraud. I am an artist. That's yeah. what, that's who I am. I'm lucky enough to make a living of being a creative. So when you make that decision... You can't go back. You can try, but you literally have entered into this amazing experience that's literally going to blow your mind and cause you no end of interesting challenges. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when you get to it, you will never feel more alive and true to yourself than when you actually stay the course. There will be times as an artist, and I'm, it's really nice to remind myself of this, where you will feel like giving up. You'll think, oh, I'm not selling anything. Oh, I'm not getting enough <laughs> likes on Instagram. But you will always be an artist. You don't need X amount of likes to be an artist. To be an artist, you get on with the job, which is creating. <clears throat> you know, uh, money, um, a, a, an example, is <clears throat> Earl Nightingale, and I think he borrowed it from somebody else as well, Earl Nightingale said in one of his amazing um, little podcasts, but it was a, it was like an old tape. He said, uh, "You don't make money; you earn money. People in a mint make money. So when you're creating art, you're providing a service. You're not making money; you're earning money by providing a service, and that service is called art. So if you get on with the job of making the art." And then people, and loving the art. By the way, if you're listening to this, love your art for all it's worth. Even if it really pisses you off, love it still in equal amounts. Because the more you love your artwork, 
the more people will love it equally. If you're talking about your artwork and you sound as if you're, you want to divorce it, or it's, it's <laughs> people won't want to buy into that. They love an enthusiastic appreciation from the artist about what they do. They also love the narrative. Without question, narrative, do not underestimate the power of your story. You have... Um, you are on this amazing journey. It's unique to you. You can inspire people in ways that you couldn't even imagine. And all you need to do is tell your story, literally tell your story. And also as a creative, be open to the fact that um, the best way to, to get inspiration is to collaborate. And the best way to collaborate is just meet somebody and say, let's see if we can collaborate. Amazing. You know, just enter into, I mean, I'm just saying those things. It's made me realize there it takes a huge amount of courage to to be an artist. It really does require you to step out of your comfort zone, but it's worth it every single time. But remind me that of when I get if you ever hear me talking because I'm I'm human. I, yeah, I will I will get feared up. But it's interesting because I can say these things because I'm not talking about myself. But you need a wing buddy if you're an artist. Get one other person on your side who have a similar kind of vibe because you do need your wing buddies. If you're on your own, it will dry up, mm. drive yourself insane. Um, to round this sort of episode and this interview up uh, here, Mark, um, talk to us about uh, the next few months, the next few years, the, the goals and the aspirations and the vision that you've got for Mark Craig and your art and your market. Where, where, where's it heading? What are you going to do? So what I'm going to do, and that's a really amazingly important question, what I'm going to do is literally for the rest of this year, um, take everything I've done and bring it all together and to create um, the narrative, bring that narrative together and then present some of the, I'm, I've got so many plates at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm, it's very difficult to focus. That's a typical creative. Mm. It's very difficult to focus. So it's, it's to try and bring everything together under one plate. Once I bring that plate, uh, you know, into fruition is to literally um, love it for all it's worth and, and, uh, and to inject every ounce of my human enthusiastic nature into that. And then, and then but the, the one thing I've discovered as a creative is I suffer from uh, lack of um, intention because I've got so many wonderful lights of potential but i i don't i don't focus in long enough for it to do something yeah does that make sense so yeah, yeah. the next for the next year for the rest of this year i'm going to literally concentrate on making it one umbrella you know bring the street art in the nfts in um bring my t-shirt kind of ideas stories kids story just bring it all together and to literally have all those elements collaborate for one thing that would be quite exciting, actually. That sounds very, very decent. Yeah. So, Mark, where can the audience find you and your art? So, you can find me. Um, you can find me on Instagram, which is Creative Thinking without the G. You can find me on uh, Twitter, which I'm really kind of big at the moment, which is uh, Mark Craig Art, Mark with a C. Um, but obviously, it's my website, which is uh, markcraig.co.uk. Also, my Hicket Nunk, so you can see all my NFTs, is markcraig.xyz. Uh, and then Chopper Chunky is obviously the... If anybody out there is actually... Actually, I'll put this out there. If you're an artist and you're looking to 
try and have a platform to show your work, especially if you can do a group exhibition, get in contact because Chopper Chunky is free. It is a free service. There's no commission. It is purely, purely um, the simplest way for me to give back to the community. And I'm all up for people promoting their work and give me a, an idea for an exhibition. Mega stuff. Um, one last thing. I've got a mantra and the mantra goes like this. Be happy, never content. Be happy, never content. If I were to ask Mark Craig, what does be happy, never content mean to you? What is your perception of that? Um, be happy, never content. If you're content, you're resting on your laurels. Being happy is literally making a choice. Making a choice to be happy given any situation. Being happy is recognizing your power lies within making a choice and understanding that it may not be the right choice, but at least you're living. Not living is not making a choice and not making a choice is you're being miserable. That is being content is kind of making a choice, but you realize that actually you can stretch it. Mm. You can push yourself a little bit further. I like your breakdown of that, Mark. Thank you very much you're for your welcome. time. Um, I hope everyone listening to this or watching this on YouTube ha has enjoyed the conversation. Please give Mark a follow. Uh, make sure you buy, invest into his art, watch his journey. If you're getting a lot of value off my podcast, um, please share it with friends, family. If you're interested to know a bit more about what we do here at Woodbury House, follow Woodbury House and more importantly, book a meeting to come down to our studio. I really recommend that. Be happy, never content and nice one everyone for listening. Cheers. Welcome. Welcome.